0: Hi, this is Kate Sherman. Hi, this is Jane Barthen, and we would like to welcome you to our fifth podcast of "What, what the, the Hell, Hell Is Elder Eldercare? Care." I'd like to start
1: out by just um, thanking everybody that listened to our last podcast when we were talking about um, spirituality and religion. I would like to just correct myself if I could, and with a with just a small clarification during the course of talking about the Medicare bereavement services when you are on the Medicare hospice benefit I had indicated you could have services up to a year after a death and you could contact the hospice and have bereavement services of whatever type you wanted for 12 months the Medicare hospice benefit is really 13 months and i just wanted to correct that because there's a lot of wonderful hospice workers out there lots of great agencies providing end of life care and i want to make sure that the medicare hospice benefit is is given accurately as as it pertains to people getting services
0: yeah. so thanks
1: kate i just i just wanted to correct myself it's I generalized with a year, but it's really 13 months.
0: Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that, Jane. And I just want to say that um, I really enjoyed the last podcast about spirituality, religion. And uh, I want to thank you for that. So you did a wonderful job.
1: Oh, no, thank you. And and I'm I'm self-reflecting at all times too, Kate. So it's not only a helping process or an informative process for viewers, for you, it's
0: also for me. Well, I uh, thank you, thank you very much. So, you know, with this pod, the fifth podcast, um, and I'm so pleased that we are here at number five, um, we're gonna talk a little bit about um, elder care and resources. Um, as you know, Jane and I have both been in this field of geriatrics for a very long time. Um, I'm a medical advocate, along with being an elder care specialist. And Jane, you were the uh, director of uh, hospice social work, along with- I
1: was also a um, director at a skilled nursing facility, right? and also an assisted living, a freestanding assisted living. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later, Kate, when we bring in the resources and levels of care.
0: Okay, that sounds great. So I think one of my favorite parts of, of my job, and, and I know that you can agree to this, Jane, is that I, Really, not only enjoy advocating for my clients, but I do like to empower my clients um, about the resources that are out there and um, and once again education so one of the things that um, we want to talk about is is helping caregivers and seniors and even maybe us as we're aging, you know how to navigate the Elder care arena. Correct, correct, and I
1: think that could involve somebody that is at home and realizing they need more care. That could be, that could be a child realizing the parents need a little more help. That can mean an incident that happens that um, leads to a hospitalization, that leads to a level of care, whether that be actually skilled nursing or assisted living. It can be a lot of different avenues of just living independently or living in places,
0: the term is used. Right, exactly. And I think one of the things um, about this is that you have to be prepared. You know, I I can't stress that enough. Um, So with these resources, you might not be at that point where you need in-home care or you need assisted living but let, we, we just want to educate you on some of the terminology that you should be made aware of if you do end up in the hospital or a nursing home to know what your options are.
1: Correct. That's correct. And one of the things I think we could start out with, is somebody that does have a hospitalization and what we recommend. Mm -hmm. Kate, we always recommend, and I'd like you to expand a little more, is to get in touch with the social worker. Sometimes now they're defined as case managers, but get in touch with them in terms of what are discharge options.
0: Right, and I can't stress that enough. I I used to work, I used to be a medical social worker in the hospital. in Houston, and then uh, also ended up in a hospital here in Pittsburgh um, doing uh, discharge planning, helping out with discharge planning. And one of the primary things I always used to tell my patient or family members was, you know, discharge planning is going to be the day that you're admitted to the hospital. Now, you might not know that you need to go to a nursing home after day one, right? but you need to be in touch with those professionals that are working on your case so that you are not left blindsided about discharge. Correct, Jane? Correct, correct. And I think
1: that the nursing homes in the area, as well as assisted livings, and if I could throw out a term with a definition, continuum of care, When you have a continuum of care, um, they call them CCCs. What that means is you can start out with independent living. They also have the level of care of assisted living. Then you can also have a skilled nursing unit attached to that. A lot of people feel that a continuum of care is the best investment financially, and the best in terms of, if I can just put this in quotes, we won't have to move again. Right. And that differs from a freestanding facility. Right. And there's a lot of freestanding facilities that are assisted living level of care and that are skilled nursing facilities that are standalone with only that high level of care.
0: Right. Because I know, as you stated, continuum of care and that continuity is so important. So if you well, let's just back up a little bit on that. So let's say that you are admitted to the hospital and you have, um, let's say you've had surgery and it did not go the way that you wanted it to and you end up and you're weaker than what you came in with, right? You're not feeling yourself, you're not able to ambulate as much as you want, or you could ambulate. And, uh, Maybe your speech is off a little, and so you need to ask to speak to a case manager or a social worker on the floor. The social worker comes in, um, he or she discusses with you. This is what the physical therapist or the occupational therapist, and we did talk to Dr. Wim Rogers, a physical therapist. And the social worker comes in, then they lay out a plan for you. So let's say that you're not able to return home. So what they're saying to you is you need to go to short-term rehab. Would you like to define that? Sure. Short-term rehab, if there is what is
1: defined as a skilled medical need, and is the, the scenario you described, Kate, is certainly one that you could use some extra therapies, whether that be physical, occupational, or speech if you've had a fall, if you've had a hip replacement, if you've had a knee replacement, you've had some of those short-term rehab, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this loosely, is generally covered for those rehabilitation services to get you back to what the insurance companies will define as baseline functioning level. So you want to get back to the way you were, the closest the way you were to be independent in
0: your previous setting. Right. And I agree with you, Jane. And the key here is what you said, you know, that you're trying to get back to that level. Now, when you're admitted to short term rehab, you know, a lot of times you'll hear, oh, well, you're going to be, you know, you'll be here for 20 days. You know, uh, Medicare will cover that. Well, actually, you have to back up because you have to be a willing participant in those therapies because Medicare is going to be contacting that short-term rehab and wanting to know what your progress is. So sometimes people are once again blindsided that they're all of a sudden being discharged, right? Earlier than expected because... If I may correct you, okay. they're being kicked out, Thank not you. discharged. <laughs>
1: when that happens to somebody and that yes. blindsidedness right. appears, yes, people get very upset and very angry because as you said, Kate, well, I heard I have a hundred days. Well, what am I paying this insurance company for? You know, I can't walk very well. It's hard for me to still get up and out of a chair. What happens when somebody is told, "Well, your short-term goals have actually been met, and it's time to be discharged"?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So then again, another planning process That's starts. Right. That's right. And that is, are we going to go to a little bit of a lesser level of care for enough, for an intermediate uh, for an intermediate time, mm-hmm. or, or are we going to go home?
0: with some home care services provided. Right, and so that brings us with our next step. It's medical home care. We have medical home care, which is covered by private insurance or Medicare, as long as you're participating, correct? Correct. And then uh, that would include a skilled nurse, your physical therapy, your occupational therapy, your speech therapy, And let's not forget that medical social worker, which is key, especially if you feel that you need a home assessment or if you need resources for your home, like through the Department of Aging. Now, non-medical is when you need a companion or you need somebody to come in and do some personal care. And of course that is through private pay. But it could also be through the Department of Aging in your county, if you meet their income guidelines. Um, so those are the two differences. And I should have mentioned that home health aides can also fall under that medical home care
1: benefit, right? That right. A home health aide can go in and help with some personal care, right, for a limited time frame. But they can. Um, I'm I'm just going to um hold hands with you a minute on these um services Kate when you talked about the the um private pay services mm-hmm. the out of pocket services um lots of times they are they need to be investigated by the individual as well Absolutely and I and I think you and I and you certainly as as an advocate still There's just a lot of criminal background checks to me are essential, but there is also just a lot of word of mouth that is the best, because you know, if somebody had somebody and somebody's mother knew somebody that had this person, you always feel a little bit better that that might be a good resource because you're allowing somebody to come into your home and you're allowing somebody to really get involved with your own personal care. Right. So, and again, um, a lot of home health agencies that services are covered through Advantage Plans and the Medicare benefit, they're recommended by certain hospitals, by certain doctors' practices, by certain nursing homes. Right. And... There's usually a very good following and word by mouth, but a lot of times the out-of-pocket services need
0: to be investigated as well. Right, and the other thing about the out-of-pocket is that there are the agencies that hire the caregivers. They have caregivers and they are their W-2. They are their employees. And then you have those private agencies where they contract out those services. So you want to really make sure that you're looking at agencies that are W-2 employees, correct? Correct. I mean, I know that as as this advocate, elder care specialist, I help families by calling these agencies, and I know who the top five agencies are because, you know, uh, you know that they're vetted, you know that they are training, which is very, it's key, especially if you have someone with Alzheimer's or dementia. And so I try to go with those five agencies first. And then something you have to look at with these agencies also is that there's gonna be a minimum shift hours. So a lot of them, when you call in, when you make that phone call and you say, my name is Joe Smith, you know, I need a companion personal care caregiver for my mom. Um, I need my mom to be covered for let's say three hours a day. And the, the agency might say, we only do four hours. That's the only way we can get a caregiver into the home, right? So, and then the other thing to discuss is pricing. You wanna know how much it costs per hour. And some agencies can do transportation. So you want to know, is it a free service? If the caregiver uses her or his car, or, um, you know, do I have to pay for mileage or is it free if I use my car? So there are a lot of things, a lot of questions you have to ask along with asking, will they do a home assessment? And I know a lot of agencies will try and match personalities to the person that they're caring for and I know that my aunt who had an agency and I had researched the agency, so I felt very comfortable about who was coming in. Um, You know, I provided all of these questions to ask for the power of attorney who was interviewing the agency. I provided her with a lot of questions that she should be asking to make sure that was a good fit for my aunt who had dementia or has dementia, I should make a correction, so. I'd like to
1: also say something, and let's not be totally naive about this, that a lot of people do not want to go through an agency, and they want to hire caregivers, um, for lack of a better term, under the table. Right. This is no different, Kate, than caregiving services to your child, you know, for child care, for people to work, and mothers to work. Sure. And and a lot of people a lot of retired nurses a lot of retired aides still do work like that that they still don't register with an agency i'm just saying whoever is hiring the caregiver the patient themselves the family whoever Mm -hmm. they just need to know take the responsibility of how they want to do it Mm -hmm. and the only negative recourse to that kind of hiring would be if anything would ever happen you just don't have any kind of backup, that's all. Exactly. It's a handshake and a pang under the table. And if you're good with that because you know the individual, whatever it takes to meet the patient's needs. But there's a lot of retired healthcare professionals, and I really think there was a surge during COVID, Kate, mm-hmm. where there was a lot of people retiring from healthcare. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest problem... And and anybody that has any loved one in any kind of a facility, structured facility for care, knows that they'll complain about shortness of help. Um, nobody answers their questions anymore because they're too spread out with right. how many patients they've got. And, and some of the agencies just could not hire people. Um, Covid just sort of changed that a great deal. It was sort of the uh, systemically worked, and now we're still rebuilding with the caregiving population in all levels of
0: care. Right, there is a shortage out there. We know that, like with everything else, there's a shortage. So, um, so we covered medical versus non-medical home um, health care. So let's just take a step back with the. Uh, so you end up in short term and you end up going home and then all of a sudden something else happens. And uh the family your family has a discussion with you and they say you know what we don't think home is the right place to be anymore. Why don't we try independent living because at least you'll be in a community with others, right? And they'll be able to keep an eye on you. So independent living is really where you are paying, again, for services. You're not paying for a caregiver. You are paying for your meals, um, I think, for the room to be cleaned. And you have day trips to the... Grocery store, things like that. Correct, Jane?
1: That's correct. Okay. And, and accessibility to a van for physicians, appointments, right. and so forth. Yes. Right. So you have
0: independent living. And then let's say that with independent living, next thing you know, that you're requiring more help. Your family has hired a caregiver because you can't do that, hire a caregiver to come in into independent living. And sometimes it's best to talk to that community to see who they use. You know, who do the majority, uh, what agency does this community use? So next thing you know, you end up in independent, I'm sorry, assisted living. And Jane, um, since you were a director of freestanding assisted living community, why don't you explain that?
1: Surely. I have to say this at this point, Kate, there is a point that I love my aging process because the knowledge that you have had over the way our system has changed when I when I first got out of um, graduate school, I worked at it's it's not there anymore, but Divine Providence Hospital. But what I loved about that on the north side is it, between Allegheny General and us, there was a lot of boarding homes. Do you mm-hmm. remember that oh, phrase? Yeah. Mm-hmm. People used to say, "What's a boarding home?" Right. And a boarding home was really um, a non-fancy assisted living that your social security check just went to them because the family couldn't take care of you anymore. Now I'm going back to the late 70s and 80s and all. Then they became a little more sophisticated from boarding home and went to a personal care home. And the personal care home, of course, came from, well, we're giving personal care. Well, it depends upon what personal care home you're in as to how much care you can have. Some give an awful lot of care and take care of weird wheelchair bound individuals and others, you must be totally ambulatory. Mm -hmm. So the assisted living complex um, came out of personal care where you're giving personal care, but maybe more. So we'll call it assisted living then, because you're assisting with everything of daily living. Mm -hmm. So that's what it was. And I was able to take care of individuals. Most of the, I would say, Kate, 90% of the people that were admitted to the facility were because they were unable to take care of their medicines or take care of them properly. And there was some forgetfulness, so the reminding of the meals and just reminding to eat, period. But there was a lot of them that still were physically functional that could do well in assisted living. Mm -hmm. And I think that's always a wonderful mindset for families that they're not quote unquote in a nursing home, but they're in a facility where they get all of their daily needs met. But this but, is
0: private pay. But I was just gonna say that check is written at the beginning of every month. <laughs> and, and also, unless you have long-term care also, that right. helps out with that. And we'll get to that um, next yeah. podcast. So
1: yeah, long-term care can come into just to, to all the scenarios that Kate and I have brought up from caregivers at home to assisted living and independent living to nursing home we're going to talk about mm-hmm. um long-term care insurance and and um how that helps down right. the road
0: exactly so you're in assisted living and you've you know you've kind of tiered out really you've you know you had the medication given to you you've been you know being bathed things like that you were able to eat at the um, in the dining room, but now things are happening. You're starting to decline, and um, they're not able to provide that 24-hour care where you're now needing more of a, a nurse, a registered nurse, skilled care to skilled help you care. out. Maybe you're weaker, uh, not ambulatory. Maybe you're having trouble feeding yourself. Maybe dementia has kicked in more. Um, And so you find yourself in skilled care, which used to be called nursing home. I call it a skilled care community. What are your thoughts on that?
1: There is usually a reason why you need to go to the next level, like you said, Kate. And I got to tell you, the walking is one thing because the use of lifts is is not acceptable on an assisted living level of care mm-hmm. wheelchair bound status is very questionable right. under the hospice benefit some people so that they they live in place and die in place is is an allowance depending upon the facility incontinence is huge mm-hmm. it's huge
0: right. because
1: you really need to monitor the regulations um, of of bowel and bladder changing every every couple of hours right because that is huge under regulations under dignity that mm-hmm. is truly dignity, and so you 've got the incontinence you 've got people that um, can't feed themselves you 've got swallowing issues that mm-hmm. start. Right. You just have more needs mm-hmm. that an assisted living just can't help with that. Right. And the level of staffing and the education of the uh caregivers in the facility right are usually requiring a nurse. Right.
0: Right, exactly. And and there you can still get your physical therapy or occupational therapy or speech if needed. I mean, you can still make th- that request. Um, if If I
1: can just say that's called sure. restorative right, and that's so that people still do have hope and and still have goals because even if their family comes to visit, they want to maybe go out for Thanksgiving or something. You sure. don't stop people from restorative therapy if they're capable of doing it
0: right. I know that my aunt, who um you know has gone from living independently in her own home to having us hire caregivers. Now, her reason for needing this is dementia, by the way. Um, And she was doing very well on her own until she started to fall. And then she, even with, um, she was forgetting her medication, but her power of attorney, who we'll talk with next time, was really good about making sure the medication was there and she'd watch her take her medication, but the falls, that's what was getting to my aunt. And she ended up, um, you know, uh, in the hospital, into short-term rehab, then from short-term rehab to long-term skilled care. And then from long-term skilled care, we ended up in memory care because uh the dementia was progressing and uh, she tried to escape one night. So she ended up in a memory care unit. So... Memory care normally means that you are in skilled care, or you could be in assisted living, um, but you are more than likely going to be in a, if not a locked unit, may I say that? No. Okay, let me repeat myself, hold on, let me check that out. So anyways, so you normally end up in a locked unit. Correct. Well, that,
1: that's the old term, Kate. Okay. I'm going to bring you up a little bit. <laughs> the sensitivity of the term is now secured unit. Secure unit. Okay. So everybody says lock,
0: Kate. Kate. Yeah. So my apologies for that, but you know our our, you know. So she is now in the secured unit, um, in a nursing community um, or skilled community. Uh, where she is getting care, um, they're hiring an activities director, but I like the ratio that she's getting, um, nursing-patient ratio. Um, and and that's one thing that I think is key when you're looking at any of these communities. It's key that you do your research, you look at the reviews, Word of mouth is key, and that's why my aunt is in the community that she's in because of word of mouth, and the power of attorney knew some people, and they liked it. But also making sure that you stop by, you take a look, you have a list of questions that you want to ask these communities, and you look and see what their review is or their health inspection is. Correct, Jane? Correct. I mean, these are all important steps. If at any point you're looking at placement, whether it be independent, assisted, skilled nursing, or memory in a secured unit. So so anyways, I think we pretty much have covered a lot for this last podcast, this podcast. A lot of options that are out there for individuals
1: if they know they're out there. Right. And that's what we're trying to do, Kate, you know, is is just call attention to it so you can have care at home. And we advised how to do that. There is independent, there is assisted, and there is higher skilled level of care. Um, The insurance coverage should always be discussed. And I think the only issue you have with that is how long the skilled nursing home is able to cover you under what is defined as a skilling need. And always remember that under Advantage Plans, they take take the example of Medicare as to what a skilling need is. Mm -hmm. So even though there are two payment sources, they still look at the same skilling need to have the coverage in the nursing home, right. and everything else is pretty much out of pocket, unless it's a hospital discharge, and we talked about the skilled home care need. Right. But yes, there's a lot of, if you will, lingo out there mm-hmm. that it's hard, as you used a great word at the beginning, Kate, navigate the system, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of lingo that you're trying to figure out, and then there's a lot of people that are trying to tell you, well, I had this, or my cousin had this. I didn't get that. Why didn't I get that? And you you probably face that every day with individuals. Well, I know somebody that got more benefits than I did. Um, it's always great to talk it over with a case manager, with a, with a medical advocate, and can we briefly, before we close for this session, talk about an ombudsman that's
0: available? Oh, absolutely. And I was going to actually mention that too, because I think that if you have a loved one or you yourself or in a, a community, uh, a nursing community, a skilled community, and you feel that your rights are not being met, you need to make sure that you either contact the long-term ombudsman or you have a family member do it and it could be as as simple as you know we haven't watched TV here in two to three weeks our TV has been broken and that is something that that's your right you know you should have that TV Um, so these little things it doesn't hurt to contact a long-term care ombudsman just to see if if this is anything that has been a right has been violated, correct? Absolutely. When when I was in the
1: assisted living um, level of care as well as the skilled nursing, if anybody would say to me the ombudsman's present, if it wasn't just a stop in, do you need anything? Mm-hmm. That Kate meant to me that my staff didn't meet a need mm-hmm. and a family was upset and a family didn't go through channels so that I could make a correction or see what the issue was to see if it was correctable. Mm-hmm. And so I never wanted to see the ombudsman in my building if 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 a family or a patient was not feeling like their rights were upheld. Mm-hmm. And you're right, I, I had an ombudsman mm-hmm. one time because, Somebody was in with a diagnosis of congestive heart failure, but was very upset that we served hot dogs and potato chips with different meals. And they just felt that that diet was not. And you know, that that was a simple remedy mm-hmm. of, okay, let's get the dietitian back in here. Let's have a care conference with the family. And let's sit down and see how we can make the family feel like we're not disregarding the medical condition and the congestive heart failure.
0: Right, because that is a big issue because that's salt. You know, that's a lot of salt. And with somebody that has CHF, that is lethal to them, correct? That is something that will affect them. So um, I agree. I think that any time as a family member, if you just have an inkling that something isn't right, that your needs are not being met, um you might think it's rather small it's still worth that phone call to long term care it's imper- it's important it's, it's a quality health. of life issue yeah. and okay. it's important i agree and so in in regards to all of this is that i want to kind of come around with when i talk with my clients um and we we talk about elder care resources and we talk about family members and the family members are aging and they notice that their mom or dad are are getting worse. You know, one of the key things I like to tell my families then you need to sit down with that loved one and talk about plans. It might not happen today, it might not happen tomorrow, but hey mom, if anything would happen to you and you're in the hospital, can you give me three skilled care communities that you might wanna go to or And can you give me at least one or two assisted living communities? Same with independent, just so that you have that written down because a social worker is going to come to you when you're close to being discharged. And they're going to ask you, especially if that's your plan. So I'm just saying that, you know, for my own mother, um, you know, it was important to know her plan, A, B, C, or D. Unfortunately, we went from A to D pretty quickly. There was no nursing home, no assisted living. Actually, we didn't have any caregivers. She was living independently, but her health began to fail, and we went right into the hospital. Mm-hmm. So, and we know that outcome. So, um anyways, I just want to say that it's a good idea to have that discussion with your loved ones, get an idea of what their thoughts are. And because you want to make sure that they are are a part of that planning. And um, I can't stress that enough. Having the talk. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Having the talk is much more
1: difficult than what anybody would guess. But again, it's just like funeral arrangements. It's just we should know and we should plan. And we choose to be a society that wants to just back it into the corner as long as what we can. And we have mentioned this on this podcast before, Kate, and you Mm -hmm. and I can say
0: it till the cows come home.
1: Right. It's not good to plan in a crisis.
0: Right. It's not because you start making decisions that you're unhappy with and then, you know, you get phone calls at the family. Well, we didn't know. They're in a nurse, sorry, excuse me, skilled community. We're not happy with it. What are we going to do? Can we transfer? How do we transfer? You know, so... You end up with, yeah, being in a crisis. And a lot of people are very upset and they become angry. And you try to get them to take a breath. Okay, let's see what we can do. Let's see if we can find the best solution for this issue. You know, so um, I just want to thank you, Jane, for your time. Thank you. And the way we close every segment is that we'd like to leave you with a quote. And Jane has one tonight. Go ahead, Jane. <laughs> I actually chose Betty White
1: because okay. I think if anybody knows anything about the aging process, the it was Betty girls. White. Uh, she was the best. And, and I'm going to actually, she's it, the opening of the quote by Betty White says, getting older, I'm just going to, to correct Betty for a minute for our purposes and say aging. So Betty says, getting older is not a surprise. We know it was coming, we saw it coming, and we should make the most of it. So you may not be as fast on your feet as what you used to be. You may not look in the mirror and like that image as much as what you used to. It may be disappointing all the way around from a body image standpoint. But if you are functioning and you can do it without pain, then gratitude is the name of the game. I love that. So that was Betty White, and Betty White looked pretty good through her aging process, didn't she? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, can I just also end with one other thing that I thought was so sweet when I saw it? This is just a small quote from Mother Teresa. We shall never know all the good that one simple smile can do for each other. And I think you brought that up in the last podcast when you ran into someone at Trader Joe's and you were just wishing them a good day. That's why this this Mother Teresa quote reminded me of you, Kate. I
0: had to bring that out. Ah, Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I. Yeah, that was, that was a fun day at Trader Joe's, and I think we all need to smile no matter what, <laughs> even if it's full of wrinkles. <laughs> we need to smile. So anyways, Jane and I would like to thank you again uh, for listening in, and our next podcast will be um, about uh, power of attorney, advanced directives, five wishes. Uh, we'll get into a little bit about long-term care insurance. Um, and, uh, anything else? No, but there will be a bit of connect when we
1: look at those issues in terms of resources and what we talked about today. There'll be a little bit of a connection because you and I could talk about this into podcast number 25. Yeah. Because this is what we do. Right. So we're going to go over some of those legalities, like you said, Kate, you know, and, uh, go over and make sure
0: that people are well-informed. I agree. And so thank you again for listening in. Until next time, uh, keep smiling. And stay safe. Thank you.